Thank you, Chuck. I think one of my first uh, priorities right now is to split up three girls back there that are just chatting like crazy all the time. So, Maddie, I need you to come and sit up here. <laughs> Leah, you need to come and sit over here. Now, Melissa, can you stay there okay with Isaiah? Not, okay, Maddie, you can stay there, but no heckling and just behave yourselves there because they have a history with me and it's not all that always good. I'm kidding. It was great. So it's good to see our students that were with us at NBC as part of the Serve Internship Program at NBC. We have four from uh, here now that are with us and we're excited to get to know them a little bit because, again, um, they miss you guys. I don't even know. All the, I was away. I just got back, actually. I was in Mexico for a week, and I just got back, so I'm still getting to know the interns that are there, but they do miss you guys, but Adab, who's with us, he's one of our eight-month interns, he says they're starting to liven up a little bit, so I'm sure I'll send, uh, I, I give you their greetings, and a few of them wanted to come with today, and we said, no, no, you got to wean yourself off just a little bit longer before you come back here, otherwise you may not come back to NBC. But uh, right now, they do miss you guys, and, uh, but they're working hard, and they're having a great time, and they're learning a lot as well, and they're bonding together as a small group. Um, it's really exciting to be here again. I've been uh, here in chapel a few times, and also at the job fair, so if you want to come and check out the opportunities, there's several different camps down there, I think, and a camp, I, I believe, is always a great experience. It will stretch you. It will have you crying and laughing all at the same time sometimes, because we do put you in circumstances which are often beyond your capacities, but that's also when God can get a hold of you and uh, really do a great work in your life. So chapel, what, Chuck, I got three hours or two? Yes? <laughs> Anyways, uh, you're always cautious to ask a reason to speak for a short period of time because we do get a little bit long-winded. I don't know where we get that from, but um, I'll try to keep it 12 o'clock. Is that right? 12, 12.05, right? I was told 25 minutes. Anyways, we'll take as long as we need to, hopefully not too long, because I know Tim Strickland. Now, here's a question. Tim Strickland has booked that intern meeting in that little prayer room over there. Like, that can only fit, like, five people. Like, is he not optimistic enough, or is Tim here? No, you should book a big meeting space, but I'm kidding. How many are interested in the FEB intern program? It's a great program. Not many? Come on, guys. <laughs> That's why it's in the little room. Get on with it, folks. Hopefully I can encourage you a little bit today to really consider this. But um, let me pray. We're going to speak. I was, I was thinking about it. There's, there's, I, in my head, I'm still 20 years old, okay? And, and my, my body is telling me I'm not. My 26-year-old son is telling me I'm not 20 years old anymore. My staff start telling me that I need to grow up a little bit. Um, I actually turned 51 years old last Saturday while I was in Mexico, which was a good place to turn 51. But I'm kind of getting to that old man stage now, right? And, and our generation is, is concerned about your generation because there's a falling away from the faith. And we're really trying to understand what is going on here, what is happening. So as I prayed about what I should talk on today, what does God want, to, want you to hear, I hope that what I'm going to say will be an encouragement to your faith. And that last song was really good in terms of just calling our eyes back to who God is. And so we're going to talk. I'm going to walk you through Psalm 16. It's simple, 11 verses. It's gotten me through my faith journey in a lot of different ways. So I want you to turn there. But as you do that, I'm going to pray. And we're just going to ask God to bless this time and just to instruct us at our point of need today. Father, we just want to cast our eyes on you right now in our hearts and our minds and our very souls. We want to acknowledge our desperate need for you. We want to acknowledge that we are here, sometimes not fully understanding why we're here. We don't know what the future holds. We have personal challenges going on. We have anxieties. We have family issues. We have relationship challenges. 
we have study challenges and focus challenges. And Lord, I just pray that right now you will just abate those and make them go away just, just so that we can focus on your words that you gave through and to David in this psalm. Um, there, there are 11 short verses, and yet there's so much, so much encouragement and exhortation in these verses. May you just speak to us. Again, we all have different points of need right now. We all have areas that uh, we know your word can be alive and active and, and cut to the deeper, innermost parts of our being and actually meet that point of need that we all have on an individual basis. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will be mightily at work today to do just that. And also for the job fair and the different opportunities as these students are considering how to invest their time this spring and summer, may you just guide them to those opportunities that you would have for them that are specific, again, to their talents, to their gifted, but also to areas where they need to grow and, and opportunities that you have for them to do that and to serve in a capacity that really springs forth from their strong relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So semester two has just started. What's the most important thing you've learned so far? Anything? How many, we're two weeks into it? One week? Two weeks, right? Yeah? How many here are third-year students? Put your hand up. Okay. That's, okay, two-year, second year, first year. Oh, good. I hear it. There's a whole new really one. We call you crops, right? You, do, you don't know that, but we call you crops. Whenever we get stepping stone students at NBC, I call them, oh, we got a new crop of students this year. Because in a way, you're in a fertile area here. You're, we're, we're, you're being poured into, and we trust that the catalytic change that needs to happen in your life to bring you to maturity in Christ can happen in what I call the greenhouse effect. Many of you, how many of you are, are living in dorm in community here? Quite a lot of you. Yeah, and that can be stressful. It can be great, but it can also be stressful, right? And you're finding you can't burn the candle on both ends and so forth. But we really believe as leaders that opportunities like this, but also at camp and things like that, really, I call it the greenhouse effect, where, where so much is being poured into you that you will grow at an accelerated rate. And so I'm excited to see this school growing. As a member of the board, it's so encouraging to hear the great reports that are coming out of Heritage and from the student body and also the seminary and so forth. So we keep praying for you guys, but we're also excited for the generation that God is raising up. Because again, as I said before, we are concerned about this generation. There is a falling away. Just yesterday, I was on, on Facebook, and I just kind of tracked some of our former staff, and I don't creep them, but I just kind of monitor them, encourage them, creep them a little bit. But, but there was a, a former staff that had worked for me in camp for many years and uh, kind of announced that six months ago she walked away from her faith, from the church she grew up in, from the, the confession that she had professed in and uh, got baptized in. And, and really, I'm trying, it just saddens, breaks my heart, but it, She's not abnormal. Like She's almost the norm in so many generations or, or young people in this generation that are walking away from the faith. They're disillusioned with the church, with the people, and even with the scriptures. And one of her big reasons was she couldn't believe any longer in a word of God or in a God that would restrict people's love for one another or a God who would actually, you know, dictate the murder of women and children, things like that. And so she had a hard time reconciling her own compassion for people with what seemingly seemed injustice and hatred in, in the scriptures. And so we're seeing young people your age especially wrestle with this. So I'm going to walk you through, and I think part of the challenge that a lot of young people have, they've had their eyes on people and on the church, and they've seen mistakes, they've seen errors happen, they've seen hatred in the church, they've seen the church not acting as the godly bride it should, and so all of a sudden they get disillusioned, they walk away. And I want us to cast our eyes on God, the author of our faith, and, and that's the first place our eyes should go, 
And then the rest can fall into place, and you can, rec- you know, God will reconcile some of these issues, these challenges that you have in your own life, understanding the church, the movement of the church, um, as you focus your eyes on God and listen to Him closely. So let me read Psalm 16. Now, what translation do you guys use? Who's using ESV? Who's using NLT? Who's using NIV? Who's using CSB? Anybody got a CSB yet? Okay, tell me about the CSB. You like it, Nathan? Yeah, it, I, I just got my first one in October. The CSB is apparently a mix between the NIV kind of uh, thought for thought and the ESV a little bit word for word and kind of brings it in the middle. So I don't know how it all does that, but that's kind of how, how it works. But, but this chapter, I'm going to read first in the NLT because I've loved the NLT as a devotional book. I use the ESV a little bit more for study, the NLT kind of when I'm doing just, just my personal reading. But I'm going to read this chapter, this psalm in the NLT. So listen to this and listen closely. If you have it in your Bible, read it in whatever translation you enjoy. But keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, for for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Okay, for your benefit too, I'm going to read it in the ESV now. Listen to this. It's interesting. At NBC, we bring in a lot of Bible teachers every year. And uh, Tim Challies, anybody know Tim Challies? So he comes kind of every other year, and he's coming this year to do a special family week for us in week nine. But I remember the first, I've known Tim for a long time, kind of before, I mean, he was blogging already, but he, he wasn't on the speaking circuit so long, and he was, he was, and I don't think he'll mind me saying, he was a bit socially awkward, and he was just, he'd come across as dry, okay? And, 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 and God, you know, has, has improved his communication tons since I first met him, but I remember the first time he came and spoke at chapel, and I'm going, oh my. And all he did was read the Bible. And then he explained a little bit what it meant, and then he went and sat down. And I'm going, what? No stories, no narratives. It was just, he just read through one of the chapters in the book of Philippians, first chapter. He explained a little bit what went on and and sat down. And I had so many people come and say how powerful that reading was for him. So one of the encouragements I want to say to you as a Bible school student, read your scriptures over and over again. It will never hurt. You know, when you're a loss for words, just read the Bible, even if that means you read it and then you sit down. So I'm going to read it again, but in the ESV. Listen up. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. 
I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So now we're just going to walk through these 11 verses, and I'm just going to give a bit of commentary, maybe reference some other scriptures. (coughs) But at the very beginning, he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And keep me safe is the NLT, you know, for I've taken refuge in you and so forth. So it's the same meaning. But here I'm going to challenge you to really consider your spiritual security, your spiritual safety. You are part of a generation that is falling away. And the church is concerned, what is happening? Why is this generation leaving the church? And, and I want to encourage you with this verse. Continually pray to God that he will preserve your faith, that he will keep you walking in the faith that you have professed. Colossians chapter 1, 23 and 24, Paul says, Now keep living, keep striving in this faith that you have professed. That's a common theme in Scripture. We are, you know, I believe in the preservation of the saints and the perseverance, but, but we are encouraged and exhorted to continually chase after the faith that we have professed and to cling to it. And so this is a a verse that just, the psalmist here, David, is saying, Preserve me, O God, for in you I have taken refuge. With this falling away, people have become lovers of themselves and esteem humanity highly. I think part of what's happening is because there's so much self-awareness now, there's so much, the media has just, there's an acumen now of human potential and a belief in human potential that gets us to the point where we no longer need God. And, and when I read about young people who have been part of the faith, who have been active in ministry, and then decide at one point to walk away, I wonder, what has gone on? What has happened? Maybe you yourself have been a point where you are tempted to walk away. When I was 18, I woke up one Saturday. Again, I grew up in a, I was born into an old calling Mennonite community, grew up in an in a Anabaptist Mennonite faith. Um, you know, from a young age, age nine, I accepted Christ as my savior. I followed hard after him. I served in Sunday school, was a teacher and so forth. All of a sudden I turned 18 and I still remember one Saturday I woke up and I had no faith. This is gonna sound really odd to you folks, but I, I, I was active in my church, I was reading my Bible, I was studying scripture, and I was 18 and I was on fire for Christ. One Saturday I woke up and I said, I, I don't believe this stuff anymore. And it was a shock to me. It was like, and I, I do believe faith is a gift from God and, and our response to it is, is we have a responsibility there, but, but faith is a gift and, and it's a gracious gift. But I woke up on Saturday and had no faith. And I couldn't believe. And I was scared to death because this is all I knew. This is all my family knew. And, and it frightened me more than anything until that point had ever frightened me. And I just prayed every day, God, I don't even know if you exist, but hold on to me. Preserve me. Keep me safe in your care because right now I don't know if you're there. For two weeks I kept praying that. And I, I read the Bible, nothing. No faith, no ability to even will myself into faith. And then it lasted exactly two weeks. And then two weeks later on a Saturday, I woke up and everything, that all went away. And it was a weird season that God allowed me to go through, two weeks of what it felt like to have no sense of the presence of God. And yet by his grace, he enabled me to believe and he gave me the gift of faith again. Then I went to university. And I went through a similar experience. It wasn't as intense, but it was a serious season of doubt for one and a half years. 
And I studied. I studied all the philosophies of the, you know, religions and philosophies that I could put my hand on. I was at the University of Waterloo. I was studying sociology. I was studying philosophy. I was studying the environment, you know, and, and, and everything, you know, has a different worldview that it brings to the table. I would question professors. I would challenge them, you know, what is their faith? What is their worldview? And they had a position, but they couldn't reconcile it with the biology department, so they just avoided talking about those things and, and different things like that. For, for a year and a half, I went through a serious challenge with my faith, and I was already married at this point, and I'm going, what would it mean if I actually walked away from my faith? What would it mean to my family? And it was a serious challenge, but through that whole time, even though I wasn't sure if I even believed, I kept praying, God, if you are there, hold on to me. I want to cling to you, but right now, I just don't even feel I have the faith to do it. And finally, you know, I journaled a lot, and I wrote the pros and cons, why I should believe, why I can't believe, and I read Case for Christ and all those books that were pretty new at that time. And at one, one point, I just had to settle this, and I said, I choose by faith to believe in the truth of Scripture and the gospel. And again, and then I settled it and kind of went on from there, and I didn't have that season of doubt again, but that was a one and a half year of intense doubt where my faith was hanging in the balance. And so along with David, I encourage you, if you go through that or if you have friends who go through that, just pray for them. Pray that God will preserve them, that he will hold them, and that you will take refuge even when your faith doesn't seem to be there. Verse 1. And Philippians 1.6, I always cling to this. This was my dad's life verse, Philippians 1.6. It says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's this confidence assurance that the one who has birthed faith in you will actually complete it. So sometimes when I see these young people falling away, and I really, really believe, and again, God knows that they had a conversion conviction experience, God will bring them back. Could be very painful coming back. He may even take them home before they actually, you see a coming back here in this life, but he will bring them back. I have a confidence in that based on what Paul even declares in Philippians 1.6. Verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. One of the key aspects of our faith is the fact that we have to get to the point where we recognize our deep need and sense of God. This last summer at NBC, our theme was the Beatitudes, and the very first Beatitude is Matthew 5, 3, and it basically says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the NLT, I like what it says here because it explains this poor, this poverty a little bit more. Blessed are the poor who recognize their need for God, for they shall see heaven. And, and so there's this, uh, the word poor there describes a pauper, somebody in abject poverty who is bowed down low because they have nothing to give only to receive. So when we have our relationship with God, forget the church, forget the Christians, forget our fellow believers, our position before God is one of the pauper, the pa- completely impoverished. And when you come to that point, when you recognize that without God you have nothing, that's what the psalmist says here, I have no good apart from you. Everything that I think is good is nothing if I don't have you. So that's the encouragement from verse 2. Blessed are the poor who recognize their need for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Verse 3. As for the saints in the land, there are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Who are the ones you look up to? Like I have a 16-year-old daughter, and she has Ariana Grande and all these people that she, oh, I just wish, I, you know, Daddy, for Christmas, can you buy me a coat like this? See this picture? And I'm shopping through Forever 21 trying to find the exact coat that Ariana Grande is. This is my real-life story. This is how I live. And she wanted these big knee-high boots that had 20-inch heels, and, and you couldn't find them at her size because, anyways, it was just brutal. And so... We, you know, teenagers, we kind of say, yeah, that's okay. They're going to go through that phase where they have hero worship and all this stuff. But I want to challenge you. Who are the ones you look up to? 
Verse 3 says, the godly people in the land are the ones that I esteem highly. I wonder, who are you looking up to? Who do you want to be like? So here's an encouragement that we, we keep our gaze fixed on God. We know we need him. But my encouragement is that you find people that you feel demonstrate a close walk with God and you look up to them and you follow their example. Paul often says to Timothy, follow me even as I follow Christ. But also look at the people that you kind of covet or that you say, man, I wish I was more like that person. Are you coveting that because they follow God or they're close to God or they have fellowship with Christ? Or are you following that because they're good communicators? They've written a great bestseller book or whatever it might be. I remember years ago, I was at a pastor's conference, I won't say what denomination, and I was sitting around the table with all these pastors, and I'm a wannabe pastor, so I, I'm a just camp director, but, but I'm sitting around the table with these pastors, and all they're talking about at mealtimes is the business guy they went to golf with, the, this business guy who lent him this fancy car that he's got, and, and I'm just going, it was like these pastors we're looking and wishing, I wish I could live in that world of success where these, you know, I have good friends. So, so they couldn't live in that world. They were just pastors. So vicariously, lived, they lived by having friendships with successful business people. And I've seen that often where pastors forget their high calling and they covet the, the successful people in their church, in their, in, their, in their congregation. And I'm going, guys, you have lost it. You have lost this vision of the high call that you have. Don't set your eyes on the successful business person. If that person is a godly man, walks closely with God, and God has blessed his business, great. But what I was hearing around the table wasn't that. They were looking at the fancy cars. They were looking at the golf membership. They were looking at this successful lifestyle, the vacation lifestyle, and so forth. And I'm sitting there, pastors, you guys have lost a vision of your calling. And, and yet, I've seen that transform. I was at the same uh, um, pastor's conference a little while ago, and all of a sudden, they're sitting around the table, and they're talking about theology. They're talking about how do we love our community? How do we live in love in our community? And I'm, I've, I've seen a swing in the pastors that I'm knowing now of who really know and understand their high calling. And I think God is transforming the church and waking up pastors to realize that above everything else, we have the highest calling. We actually are the stewards of God's word to this generation. And that's my encouragement. As you're looking at vocational ministry or even just you know, um, lay ministry, when you are involved in the leadership or in the spiritual ministry of, of people, you have the highest calling that anybody could even want. And so when you look up at people, look up at the people who have that high calling, who are living it out faithfully year after year. That's my encouragement. The very next works talks about the sores of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So this goes the other way now where he says, you know, look up to the people that are godly. Make them your heroes, the people that you want to emulate. As they follow God, you follow them. But here it says there's other people who run after other gods. Don't look at those people. And, and Asaph, another psalmist, in Psalm 73, he talks about these pages. He says, I, I came to a very bad spot. I came to a spot where I'm looking at all these ungodly people and how successful they are. And I'm going, why have I kept myself pure? In vain? These people are successful. I have all the troubles in the world. They're not following you. And I'm unsuccessful and they're successful. And then he says, but then I stopped and I entered the sanctuary of God. And then he says, I realized what a slippery slope these people were on. Those people who run after another God, after the gods of this world, are on a very slippery slope and their destruction is coming. So don't look up at those people. The heroes of the land should be the ones who are walking with God who are following closely with Christ, and you look up to them and you follow, you emulate them. That's kind of the, the gist of, of three and four. 
uh, verse 5 and 6. The Lord is my chosen portion of my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Here's the confidence you can have. He has secured not only your present, but your future as well. It talks about here, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Sometimes I pull this one on people and I go, you know, would you say right now the lines, the boundaries of your life have fallen for you in pleasant places? Are you content? Are you happy with where you are right now? And sometimes when I do student training, I'll I'll ask them, if you had the choice right now to stay here or go to heaven, which would you choose? And I'll ask people to fill it out in a form sometimes and I'll get the answers back. Most people your age kind of say, just give me a few more years here, God. I got a few things I want to get done before I come and see you. And I'm going, you guys, have a, you guys don't have a glimpse of heaven yet. Because there's a few things you want. I want to get married. i got a really cool fiancé, and I want to get married. I want to have sex before I go to heaven. You know, things like that. And, and there's things, we, I want a really good job. I want to see some success in this world before you take me home. And, and yet Paul, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, he says, you know what? My interest in this world has long since passed away, and the world's interest in me has also passed away. And I'm saying, you guys, it's not wrong to want things in this world and to want to accomplish and achieve things, but basically we can say, my lines have fallen in pleasant places for me. The boundaries of my life are acceptable and pleasing to me. When we get to this point there, I've got everything God wants me to have right now, and there's contentment in that. And so that's my encouragement to you. Keep your gaze fixed on heaven, because that's the inheritance he's talking about here. That is secured by God for you, And the things he's going to allow you to go through here, he'll get you through, but keep your gaze looking forward and realize that heaven is the best possible place you could ever end up, and you will end up there if you've kept your eyes and your gaze and your faith fixed on Christ. 2 Timothy 1.12 says, again, this confidence, we got hymns written after this, which is why I suffer as I do. Paul's talking to Timothy here. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day which has been entrusted to me. So no matter what you go through in this life, he's going to get you there. And, And you've got this inheritance waiting for you that can encourage you and get you through the hard times that you will have in this life. Verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, even in the night also my heart instructs me. As we walk and step with him, fostering relationship with him, his counsel will become more and more apparent to us. And I can't stress enough the consistency of your followership of Christ over time will pay big dividends down the road. Some people say, well, John, how, how come you're consistently reading your Bible? And I'm not bragging about that or anything, but I almost go through withdrawal if I don't have my quiet time in the morning. Well, that's a lifetime. I'm 51 now. I've been doing that for about 30, 32 years. So for you guys to have that right now, it's not going to be there necessarily. Other things are going to distract. But stick to it, and over time, that's going to be the desire of your heart, and and it will stick with you, and God will start giving you counsel even when you're not seeking it. At night, my heart instructs me. The direct translation of heart is kidney, and sometimes I think that means you've got to go up to the bathroom at night, but, but I think it's really my heart will instruct me, and this is where the CSB is a little bit different. It talks about at night when I'm restless or, 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 or there, my thoughts disturb me. But often at night, I have experiences where I'll wake up at 2 in the morning, and I usually don't wake up, and I've learned now over the discipline of life over time is I say, God, what are you trying to teach me right now? Why am I waking up? And usually there will be a thought, there will be something, an instruction, something I deal with at work or with my family that is the truth from God. And, and we live in a supernatural world. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We shouldn't be surprised when he 
prompts us with the Spirit in our life. And then we should listen very closely when we get that. So listen for it and then act in obedience on it when you hear it. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he has my right hand, I shall not be shaken. We have this anchor. Because we have set God before us, not the church, not the people, that comes. But God is before us. We have an anchor. We shall not be shaken. I remember when I was working consulting in Nova Scotia. I had one uh, junior analyst that worked with me. And, she, and I was young, too. I was, I was a senior analyst. But, but she would look at me. And one day, we were out with a group of people for, for lunch. And, and she was sitting off by herself a little bit. I was sitting with her there. And she said to me, her name was Sherry. And she said, John, can I ask a, a personal question here? And she was from PEI. And, and she... Um, and, and, and you got to understand, P.I. Nova Scotians are a little bit, they, they don't communicate well to each other. There's a bit of an animosity or, or competition between the two provinces. So it was kind of interesting that she wanted to ask me a personal question, but she said, John, why does nothing seem to phase you? You seem to have this stability that I want in my life and I don't have it. And so I was able to, at that table there, share the whole gospel with her, and she says, wow, I want that. And I said, you can have it. But I worked for, with her for another six months, never seen her came to Christ. I don't know what has happened to her, but she had a longing for that kind of stability. This is a gift from God. When we keep our gaze fixed on God, we have an anchor. We shall not be shaken, and that's a great, great encouragement. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. Reflecting on all these truths that when I keep my gaze fixed on God, when I you know, set the godly people in the land up as my heroes... I can be glad, and my whole being will rejoice. And then verse 10, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. This is now a prophecy of Christ. And, and Peter talks about this in Acts chapter 2. Peter says, um, this, is the day, this is also the day when Peter had this amazing sermon. 3,000 people came to the church, into the church, because of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. Peter said this about, he actually quoted this, verse 8, 9, and 10, and he said this, Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised on an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. This is the fundamental truth and the foundation and the rock of our gospel, that Jesus died and rose from the dead. And that is what we put our faith in on the inheritance we look forward to. He would be the first to rise from the dead. We will follow him. And so David here is saying, you will not allow the Holy One to rot in the grave. And so we, again, because Christ is risen from the dead, we will rise from the dead. May that be a great encouragement to you. And then verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And this is my culminating verse for life. When we finally will be in his presence, joy will be overflowing. It will be actually happiness. It will be this euphoric bliss because there will be no more. We can have joy in the midst of trouble, but happiness is something that you can't be fettered with trouble in order to have that euphoric, aesthetic pleasure that C.S. Lewis talks about in Surprised by Joy as well. And, and so when I read this, in your presence there's fullness of joy, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I always think of my life verses, Revelations 21, 3 and 4, and I'm just going to close with this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be their mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have, fast, have passed away. 
And so Psalm 16, take it, memorize it, read it over and over again. When you struggle with your faith, when you are looking for encouragement, follow the exhortation in Psalms and then listen to the encouragement that comes at the end that we have a great inheritance. The boundaries that he draws for us in this life are pleasing and one day we will be in his presence and the pleasures and the joy will be forever. It won't be a short time, it will be forever and this is the good news of the gospel. So stick to it, let me close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time that we've had just to briefly look at this, this passage, this, this poet, poem and yet truth declaration from David. May it be an encouragement to us as we grow in our faith. I pray for your blessing and that you will keep these students here steadfast in the faith that you have given them. Strengthen their faith that they may then in turn strengthen the faith of others around them and be your conduit, your vessel of life-giving words and encouragement to the people that they need to encourage as part of their ministry in service to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you.